Last week I used the words genuine love, okay? And you're going to hear me use the words genuine love when I say those words to distinguish what God means um, love to mean and look like from whatever our preconceived ideas uh, we or the world defines love to mean and look like. And um, so Jesus set the standard for love when he said this, love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And he went on to say that by this, all people would know that you are followers of me if you have love for one another. And then I mentioned that I would be laying out four characteristics about genuine love that sets it apart from whatever we might think love is. Um, the first characteristic was this, genuine love is supernatural. Um, and that's a very important one to establish right off the bat. Um, in other words, genuine love is not something that can be generated in our own strength. Uh, John said this in 1 John, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. That is, of course, genuine, real, true love that John was talking about. Yeah. And um, then we talked about the dynamics of God's commands to love God with all of ourselves and to love our neighbors as ourselves from when the lawyer asked Jesus, you know, what are the, what are the, what's the greatest commandments? And, um, and I suggested this phrase, um, I didn't invent it, I found it somewhere. Love, uh, we love others best when we love God most. And, and I explained why that is. Because when we love God with our whole selves, then he transforms our self-love to where we can truly demonstrate genuine, supernatural, God-originated love to those around us. So um, God didn't just um, give us the command to love our neighbors as ourselves or else um, it, fall, it falls apart. Um, he had to give us the first command to make the second one possible to work. And then we settled into Romans 12, which is where you can turn to uh, today, because that's where we're going to be for the rest of today. And uh, one of the most important points, actually, from last week, and uh, I didn't even bring this verse up, but uh, Eric created, um, uh, and kind of goes along with this important point, is that um, that God is love. And, um, and, and the point was, because genuine love is supernatural, if we're going to be able to be people who walk in genuine love consistently, we need to live our lives according to what Paul is begging us to do in Romans 12, 1 and 2, um, where he's saying we, we really need to offer up ourselves as living sacrifices so that the power of the Holy Spirit can live through us. And that was really the secret to Paul's life. Um, he said, it was no longer he who lived, but Christ who lived through him. And of course, if God is love, then that love can live through him. If, if we, you know, in the same way with us, if we um, offer ourselves up to God and, and allow God to live his love through us, then we can demonstrate his love to those around us. And then um, in verse two, it says, uh, in order to not let the world keep conforming us, because that's happening every day we wake up, and um, you've heard this phrase before that, that that, I think from the Greek or something, means the world is trying to squeeze you into its mold. 
We need to be having our minds exposed to the truth of God's word so that our minds can be renewed so that we can be transformed by the, you know, by the renewing of our minds. So now we're going to jump down to verse 9, um, which uh, we're getting almost through the recap here. And um, in the ESV here it says, let love be genuine. Uh, but I also shared um, another translation from the New Living, uh, and the you know, American says, let love be without hypocrisy. In other words, don't let it be pretend. And then the New Living says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. And this is the aim or the goal. And I started last week to go through the verses that follow verse 9 for us to see what genuine love looks like, but only got through one verse after doing all the, the backstory. Um, but we, we're going to get through the rest of the verses today all the way through verse 21. Um, but after the first characteristic, uh, which is genuine love is supernatural, the second characteristic is this. Genuine love exhibits passion. It's not passive. It's not just an emotion that you feel, although it can be, but that's not all it is. Love is active, and we will see this as we look at these next verses. Um, and then finally, last week, we closed with the second part of verse 9, which said this, Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. And in the context of demonstrating genuine love, we talked about hating what evil does to us and what evil does to other people. It destroys relationships. Um, it destroys our relationship with God. It destroys our relationship with others. We see it wreak havoc in the lives of uh, relationships of our other brothers and sisters and even unbelievers. And our response should be in our own lives, oh God, I need you every hour. Every hour I need you. I need your grace. I need your mercy. In other words, just abhorring what is evil and holding fast to what is good, genuine love should drive a dependency on God in our lives. And as it relates to others, it really should drive compassion and mercy towards others, um, knowing what evil, the destruction it causes, not contempt and critical judgment of them. So hatred of evil and longing for good in the lives of others Let's see, you know, Jesus said, love others just as I love you. What did, what did hatred of evil and longing for good in the lives of others prompt Jesus to do? Just one example is on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Well, then we're going to pick it up uh, here in verse 10. Um, this is officially the beginning of the new material. <laughs> uh, Romans 12.10 Love one another with brotherly affection. <clears throat> so the idea here, and again we're talking about, you know, just maybe it didn't make it clear, but let love be genuine. Then I'm going to go through the rest of the verses to kind of demonstrate how, what genuine love looks like through these other verses. So Romans 12.10 says, let love, or love one another with brotherly affection. Well, the idea is that within the church, we treat each other with a family type of love. And um, 
I, I know that there's, you know, outliers, okay, so, um, and in the, our dysfunctional world, um, there's people that have had really bad experiences in families and not experienced what family type of love should be, but okay, but I'm, I don't want to address those situations tonight. Um, I, when I talk about this, I hope that, you know, we're all going to have the understanding that when it comes to family, you love your brother, your sister, your mother, your son, your daughter, your aunt, your uncle, um, and so forth, not because they're cool by the world standards, but simply because they're family. You know, they might not be cool by the world standards. Maybe they don't have a super winsome personality. Um, maybe they do, maybe they don't. But you love them because they're a family. And here's the wonderful thing about family love. Um, you shouldn't have to earn it. Uh, you don't have to deserve it. You don't have to be appealing enough to get it. You just get it because you're family. And um, in a family, you should be loved on your good days. You should be loved on your bad days. And, uh, and that's what Paul is trying to say that genuine love looks like in the church when he says love one another with brotherly affection. Um, in a family, the last people that we ought to be tearing down is people in our family. Um, I, I know in... Uh, even growing up, and when my mom remarried and had a stepfather, there was an aunt in that family, um, a little bit eccentric, um, you know, um, had a lot of cats kind of thing um, <laughs> in the attic. Um, but uh, the, the thing is, within the family, you know, there was still love, and, and they would not, you know, they would not tear her down, you know, outside the family. There was, there would not be, um, if, if someone were to tear Aunt Rita down outside the family, they would have her back, you know. And um, so to extend that to the church, you know, the last people we ought to be tearing down is people in the family of God. Um, you know, when I was growing up, my brother would, you know, beat me up regularly. Um, but that's just because being a good second brother, I'd annoy him. Um, that was just what you do as a second brother. Um, and uh, you, you know all the ways to get under their skin. Uh, but I specifically remember times in elementary school um, and even in junior high school, uh, he was just only one grade uh, above me. Uh, so it wasn't far removed from me, but then even in high school when when I needed to be defended and uh, And my brother had my back and I knew that he was he was for me um, And that's where we need to be in the church. We need to be for one another um, So now let's look at this next one Romans twelve ten. Outdo one another in showing honor <clears throat> um, now this one is really interesting because the idea of outdoing one another and showing honor, it's got the idea of having have a high appraisal of others, okay? And like if you're gonna go sell something, um, we, we just sold our house this, this past year. And I mean, honestly, we bought that house in 2005 and it had not, you know, there was the depression years and it had not reached what 
you know, what I bought it for, for, I don't know, probably until just this past year to be, to, to be honest with you. But, um, you know, what was I hoping for? I was hoping that it would appraise for really, really high. And uh, what this verse is saying is, is to put a high value estimate on people. And um, what genuine love does is it esteems people highly. It treasures people and it says to people, you are incredibly valuable. You have worth. Now, trust me, we can change how we value things. Um, you know, so if we don't have that mindset right now, we can change it. You know, if if the Antiques Roadshow, you know, rolled into town and, and you had some old blanket or something that uh, Buddy, your dog, was sleeping on for years, and, um, and then you took that to the Antiques Roadshow and they say, oh my goodness, you have, this is an ancient, original Navajo, you know, handcrafted blanket and it's worth $5,000. I can tell you, I bet Buddy wouldn't be sleeping on it tonight. <laughs> so um, so you, you just changed how you valued things. And that's how it needs to be in the body of Christ. We, we're to put a high value on everybody. Um, and really, I don't think we completely understand how revolutionary this is. Um, I mean, how often do we really think about esteeming and valuing people at a level that is like, you are literally priceless, and like viewing people as priceless and as incredibly valuable? I mean, even sitting here saying that, I think, did I think that way today about people in my family? You know, um, it, it's uh, it, it's it's not something that's it's countercultural. It's not something that we naturally do. And um, you know, the world is is full of experts at tearing people down. And and it would just be great if we became experts at honoring people. Um, so in the day in which we live, even it's 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 even getting worse. So. Um, it, it would be so countercultural to show honor when nobody else is doing it. It would just stick out like a sore thumb. And, you know, if you're in a situation where nobody else is honoring someone and you show value, um, it's genuine love showing up on the scene. And what happens is you're showing honor can literally turn a situation down. Let's just say everyone's just talking and tearing someone down. And uh, you, you would just turn that situation around. Because, because now God has shown up on the scene. You've demonstrated genuine love, the love of God. And, um, and if you want to transform a circumstance, then, then start showing honor in, 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 in to people in your life, and especially in the family of God. And, and you'll see things radically change. Um, Romans 12, 11 then goes on to say... <clears throat> Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Um, I just want to bring out a, 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 the way it's saying, it says in the NIV, it says, never be lacking in zeal. And um, I just bring that out because it used that word never. Never be lacking in zeal. And you, it's almost like bombastic because you're just like, never, never, Lord, be lacking in zeal. Um, 
Now, maybe you've heard sermons preached using this verse to try to say, you know, always be excited. But I think the translation of the word zeal here in the ESV can be a bit misleading, and I want to explain that a little bit. So as much as someone like me with my personality who, you know, can just go from zero to 100 in two seconds, but I can also go to the other, bounce the needle the other way, but I just kind of like live on emotional highs and lows. Um, so, I mean, I could tend to want to take this verse out of context. And, uh, but I want us to think in terms of separating emotion from what this word actually means and what it's trying to convey when it says, never lacking in zeal, or do not be slothful or lazy in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Um, the word here, zeal, um, it really has the meaning of earnestly or deeply caring about something um, or an earnestness to accomplish something. And, um, you know, if you actually look at all the uses of it in the New Testament, um, it, it's not really about enthusiasm per se. It, it's, it's, but like I said, it's like an earnestness, a deep desire uh, for something or to accomplish something. And, and for example, uh, when Salome came to Herod and, and, and asked for John the Baptist's head, it says, and she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. That word, with haste, uh, is this same word. It's, it's like she came in earnestly, um, earnestly desiring to, it was, it was on her heart and she just wanted to earnestly get that request out there. Um, now in the context, it, it, it's, a, it, it's a word with passion. Okay, let me just get that out there. It's a word that has passion in it. And in context, it's a passion to serve the Lord. And relative to what we're talking about today, loving one another continually, we're serving the Lord by having an earnestness, a deep desire to love one another just as he loved us. Um, and Paul kind of uses it in that context in, 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 in 1 Corinthians where he's trying to take a collection. Um, actually, it might be 2 Corinthians. But um, we're trying to take a collection for the needy saints in Jerusalem. And he says, um, to prove their genuine love by demonstrating an earnestness in giving money to the collection that was being taken for the needy saints. Um, he's saying, don't get lazy in letting that earnestness, that deep caring for others, that passion for serving the Lord grow cold. Um, so, so if you think about that in that context, never, um, never get lazy, never let that earnestness or that, that deep caring um, grow cold. And then the word fervent uh, literally means boiling. And uh, to be boiling, right, if something's going to remain boiling, then the heat needs to stay on. Can't turn it down because uh, you got to keep it at, at a boil. And um, uh, so this means being passionate and having an earnest caring about serving the Lord. Um, and, and it's not an option for the Christian to be otherwise. 
is, is what that is saying, never lacking in that. Um, but for all of you melancholies out there, um, I don't know how many of you there are, again, I just want to emphasize that this is not talking about something rooted in your temperament or personalities or ethnic backgrounds. Like someone talks about, you know, uh, Latin people are passionate people. We're not talking about, you know, ethnic backgrounds. We're, the passion or zeal or deep caring that I'm talking about, it's a heart issue, okay? And maybe another way to say it is this, to not be fervent in spirit as we serve the Lord is to be at some level indifferent to what God cares most deeply about because we need to have this deep desire to be earnest about what he cares about. Um, so in God's mind, fervency, zeal, or passion aren't descriptions of how emotional we are, um, which is how I've often heard that word preached, often thought about that word, but rather there are gauges that display what our heart treasures. Um, as we know where our treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, but you know, it's, it's not easy in this world to never be lacking in zeal, uh, right? Um, and to always be fervent, always be boiling in spirit. It's, it's not easy. <clears throat> and we know that. Um, I mean, Revelation 2, we have the example where the angel came and, and talks about it to a church that had left their first love. Um, <clears throat> so if they were still boiling and uh, still, you know, super zealous, uh, never lacking in zeal, then <clears throat> those words might not have had to be spoken. Then in Revelation 3, he talks uh, about a church that was uh, obviously not, no longer boiling because it was lukewarm. Uh, and so um, I just wanted to share some scenarios, you know, that are just typical things that we face, you know, that I think um, just to understand that, that we all experience these things. You know, you, um, the reality is, you know, you could be a mother at home uh, with your children and you feel overwhelmed by, by that task or that responsibility and you're constantly trying to bring order out of chaos. I've seen you all post different memes before that are kind of funny. Um, <laughs> about what that's like. You know, your work never ends and you feel that sometimes you might be fighting a losing battle and over time you might even become discouraged or definitely lose energy, sometimes lose motivation and you can even, you know, lose heart. Um, or you might be a, a Christian who is a teacher in a public school um, or a worker at a secular company and you, you know, as we continue to live in this world, you feel the pressure of trying to navigate this world of political correctness. And um, some of the people around you, you, you know, you're not even sure which ones are sensitive to certain things. And so you kind of like walk on eggshells and you're never quite sure of what you should or shouldn't say around certain people. Um, and, and every year, it just seems like, you know, working, uh, working your job seems to get harder than it was the year before. Or, or you might be a high school student who loves the Lord and, and you have plenty of passion, you know, um, but there are a lot of distractions um, in your life just because 
you're in those years where there's, you know, a lot of questions going on in your head about, you know, things to do. You get really pumped up when you come home from summer camp, but it doesn't last all the time. You don't have those feelings all year long, and, and sometimes you might feel like a balloon that uh, just keeps losing air. Um, or you might be someone who's just been a, a long-time faithful servant of the Lord, and um, you sometimes might just get to the point where you just feel like you're on a treadmill, and uh, you have heavy pressures at work, you have demands at home, and uh, it's, it's hard to get your priorities. It's almost like every week or every month your priorities are in a state of flux because of the, the pull of all these things um, coming at you all the time. And so my point is, you know, I think we can all identify with, with those different scenarios, and, uh, but what are we to do, okay, to, to never be lacking in zeal, to be fervent in spirit? Um, well, I think part of the answer is that um, we need to go back to what the first characteristic of genuine love is, because genuine love is not being slothful in zeal, being fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Well, the first characteristic is genuine love is supernatural. And, um, and, and, and I think that we need to understand that it's, in some ways it's a mercy of God um, when, when we get these in, seemingly impossible commands um, because they humble us, okay? They humble us in ways that, that um, to where we need to call out to him and, and they call us to deeper levels of prayerful dependence on him. Um, they, they reveal to us that, that we really do have a need for him. I mean, so, so uh, you know, you go through all these things that we're going to, continue to go through here in Romans 12, and it's like hard to do, hard to do, almost impossible to do, you know, etc. And, and and really the way that should be hitting us is that's almost impossible, God. I mean, how am I supposed to do that? Well, that's that's kind of the point. The point is um, it should drive us to, to dependence on Him, okay? Um, and that, that, that's what living by faith is. And, um, and of course, the writer of Hebrews said, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Um, so then verse 12 goes on to say, um, rejoice in hope. And uh, what's the hope? Um, Paul doesn't really say here, but um, we know that there's certainly the hope of heaven. Um, there's the hope of the gospel, which is, the power of God unto salvation. Um, and when you think of rejoicing in hope, I think of it this way. I, could, I think you can think of rejoicing in hope as being logs that you can put on the fire to keep that spirit boiling. Um, and I mean, we literally have a relationship with the only power, the only, not, I don't want to use the word person, but the only one, we, we have a relationship with the only one that has the power to change lives or circumstances. Um, so we have hope in that. There's even hope in knowing that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And that even when we are in these difficult circumstances, like these scenarios that I threw out that we all live day to day, they drive us to depend on him more, which is faith. So 
um, the more we demonstrate that dependency on Him, then, then the more we're pleasing Him. And, uh, and that should give us more hope. Then it goes on to say, be patient in tribulation. And um, so this has the idea of hold up, holding up under. So we're enduring, we're persevering in tribulation. And uh, <clears throat> the word tribulation, uh, there's a word uh, in Latin, um, tribulum, uh, which was actually a, a tool that was used for crushing corn. Okay, um, uh, so Paul is saying that we endure in the midst of that crushing. And, and I know that, you know, many of us could ex- say that trials and tribulations we've been through feels like um, we're being crushed. And, uh, and, and life does feel like, like that uh, oftentimes. And um, some of those tribulations God allows in our lot, he allows them so that we might grow. Um, but it can feel crushing. And, um, and being a Christian um, doesn't mean that you don't have tribulation. Uh, Jesus said that we would. Um, it means that you don't go alone through tribulation. That's uh, for sure. Um, and Paul says we keep on going um, under it. And now how do we do that? And we're talking about loving one another continually uh, through, you know, tonight. And how can we love one another here is to come alongside one another in those tribulations and encourage one another, both verbally and practically, um, so that the ones in the midst of the tribulations can continue to hold up under until the season of tribulation passes. And, um, I mean, I, I just want to commend, you know, Liberty Hills Bible Church, because I, I think that that, that you all do a great job of, of um, loving one another in tribulation. And um, I mean, I feel like if, if, if starting tomorrow I have some terrible tribulation that, that, that God allows in my life, you know, I, I am not worried that I'll be going it alone because um, I think this church family does a great job of coming alongside and walking through tribulations together. Um, So that's a good thing. Um, And finally, it says, be constant in prayer. Now, the one thing is uh, that I think that probably one of the best ways we can love one another is to pray for one another. And yet, if I took a poll, I wouldn't be surprised if we actually found out that we probably underestimate this the most. And um, uh, it, we'd probably all say, uh, you know, my prayer life just isn't what it ought to be, and, you know, and, and, and this and that. And, uh, and, and yet, um, you know, Paul is saying, genuine love looks like constant prayer. And in the context of loving one another continually, you know, we would be praying for one another. and. I mean, you know, I'd be the first to say, you know, guilty. Um, I was just thinking this week, I, I don't know what caused it, but uh, I think I was working from home in the office, and then Troy had a, a math exam. Uh, he was getting ready to go to it, and so he was walking out of his room and said, well, I'm going to my test, and 
was like, oh, well, you know, I hope it goes well or something like that. And, and, and then it, it was, I don't know what I heard or read, maybe I read something. I, I don't know what I, maybe I was preparing for this message. I can't remember. But somehow I just remember going, what is wrong with you, Dad? I mean, you, you could have just said, hey, Troy, can I pray with you just real you know, real quick about your test, you know, that God would help you, you know, do well. And, um, I, I didn't, you know, I mean, I'm just thinking, I don't know what I'm thinking. I mean, it's just like I'm wrapped up in myself and not thinking to encourage him and pray with him about his test or even to pray for him, even if I didn't pray with him, to just pray for him for his test in the first place. Um, so be constant in prayer for one another in just everyday life. Um, but especially in the context of tribulations, um, especially in these circumstances, we, we, we should be praying for one another. So all kinds of troubles and tribulations should cause us to pray. And when we, you know, are just going through difficulties along the way, you know, uh, you know, we can be praying the Lord would deliver us out of tribulations. And sometimes God removes the trouble and sometimes God walks with us through the trouble or God might lead us to, to take some action, you know, as we're praying for others in their troubles. But, um, but we should be praying. Um, the idea is that uh, when Paul says constant in prayers, that we're interacting with the Lord all the time throughout the day. You know, in just a couple of the verses in Luke 18, Jesus gave a parable and said we should pray always and never give up. And then in First Thessalonians 5, Paul says pray without ceasing. Okay, on to verse 13. <clears throat> he says, contribute to the needs of the saints. So this is a real practical one, okay? Just... This is love lived out. So as it plays out here in the church, you are looking out for people that have needs. And um, this, the verse doesn't say contribute to the needs of the saints as you let your pastors know or as you let the deacons know. In, in, in other words, you know, don't just be like, oh, I think so-and-so's got a need. Pastor, you know, I think you guys need to do something about that. Um, now there might be times where where we become aware of of a need, and which we have, and and, and honestly, um, uh, we we might become aware of need, and we've shared it with you all, and 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 the church has risen to the occasion to to meet a need. But but honestly, uh, pastors and deacons aren't everywhere all the time, and this verse is for for everybody in in the body, and. Um, so the way it works is you say, Lord, I want to live a life of generosity and help me to meet the needs of the people around me. So when you see somebody going through a tough time, maybe what you do is provide a need for someone if you're able to. And maybe it's as simple as you're just, you know, out in the parking lot, you happen to drive up um, at the same time as someone else in the church and you just are recognizing that they have bald tires, you know, and you're like, hey, brother, 
I'd like to buy a new set of tires. You know, um, I see a, a need there. It's, it's just it's just having that awareness. You know, contribute to the needs of the saints. So first, you know, you have to have that awareness. Um, uh, again, you know, when it talks about not being slothful in zeal, it's, it's having that earnestness, you know, that deep desire even uh, to serve the Lord. In this case, it would be having that deep desire to, to meet needs. Um, and I'm telling you, when you meet people's needs, you know, they'll never forget it. Not that that's the goal at all. It's not, it's not the goal, but I'm just trying to ex- explain the impact that because you're, you're, you're expressing genuine love to someone and, and because love is from God and you're, 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 you're allowing God to love through you, it just impacts a life. Um, there was a, um, a friend of mine, you know, this was well over 30 years ago. Um, I wasn't married yet, so I could make these decisions on my own. Uh, but uh, uh, there was just a brother in Christ and... Uh, he needed a car. I forget what happened. I, I, I don't even hardly remember the story anymore. Um, but he does, and that's, that's this is my point. Um, I, he just, I've, like I said, he needed a car. That's all I remember. Is we were eating dinner one night, um, and uh, I just went and got my car keys, just handed them to him, say, "Hey, it's it's yours." It was like a a uh, Chevy Nova, you know, stick shift on the column. Um, and uh, and so I just gave it to him. And even when I did that, I thought, I don't know how I'm going to get to work tomorrow. <laughs> but I'm just going to get this car to Ben anyway. And, um, and so I think there was an intern, I think it was during the summer. So I called that intern later that night and asked him if he could take me to work the next day. And I talked to some people at work the next day and found out that somebody had like a used car to sell me it, and uh, it was like a Datsun B210 or something like that. And uh, so uh, I ended up buying that. And uh, anyway, my point is that um, it's like whenever me and Ben get together, he almost always reminds me of that story. And uh, he just hasn't forgotten it. And um, you know, any of you could be just an absolutely huge blessing to others, and and you, and you, you know, you you might not just know it. You might not know it. Um, you just need to. We just need to all open our eyes and and uh, take a moment to look around um, because needs are everywhere, and, and even pray that God would, you know, would reveal needs to us. Um, and that's contribute to the needs of the saints. Ask God to reveal those things to us. Um, so verse 13, you know, to finish the verse, it says, and seek to show hospitality. Um, so <clears throat> the idea is here is, is seek is an action word. It's, you know, pursue hospitality, pursue relationships with others, pursue hosting, pursue helping, um, you know, we, we really should be known as people who love people. And, 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 and I get that, um, you know, there's introverts and extroverts. I mean, I'll just be honest, I am an introvert. You know, I, I, you know, people, some people get energy from being around a lot of people. I actually get energy from just 
leave me, kind of like leave me alone. Uh, just, uh, so, but but um, honestly, I know that like again, going back to genuine love is supernatural. When when I am offering my my life to God and He is loving through me, I, I can be gregarious, you know, in mixed company and and serve those around me and so I mean it's not I'm not trying to say like God didn't wire me a certain way because he did and that's fine but I'm just saying that like just because he wired a certain way doesn't mean that he can still help us to obey when he says and seek to show hospitality um, and uh, so we, we, we should be people you know, uh, who, in, in the way he wants us to, to be around people and interact with people. And, um, and, and again, you, many of you probably have heard this word hospitality, it means love of strangers. Um, I'm, I'm applying it to the context of, you know, in the church here, but, you know, if it's seek to show hospitality even to strangers, then how much more so within the body of Christ um, that we want to do good too. So not just those outside the church, but outside and inside. And um, even if it's outside, you know, Jesus said in Matthew 25, when you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. Um, so we're helping people, we're ministering to people, we're, we're helping people in need. Um, I, I think part of the problem, I mean, for, for me, you, you know, being kind of introverted, if I'm not trying to genuinely love others, I'll just say for myself, is um, I can be very self-contained, you know, um, just want to have earphones in when I'm out and about, so I'm not interacting with people around me, not kind of even paying attention to them, um, come home in a car, open the garage, shut the door, um, and what happens is sometimes you know, if you get used to that lifestyle, then it can just kind of carry over into the church, and uh, and and then it doesn't look much different in the church than how I'm like living my life um, outside the church, and uh, and uh, really, I, I want it to be different, you know, inside and outside. But a Christian seeks relationships and pursues hospitality. Um, so, hopefully, you can see. Um, how those things, how there is passion, how genuine love exhibits passion um, in those verses. It, it, it exceedingly hates evil. It holds fast to that which is good. It's on fire. It's passionate about serving the Lord. It rejoices. It celebrates over the hope in heaven. It holds up under persecution and tribulation. It's constant in prayer. It's all about looking for needs to meet and relationships. Um, and that's how it exhibits passion. And now, the third characteristic of genuine love is this. Genuine love seeks harmony. So we're down to verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. <clears throat> now again, um, probably most often, you know, when we hear these verses, we think of those outside the church but just this evening, I want us to think of this application <clears throat> among, among the, the, the brethren. 
And we're all growing in the sanctification process that I think we, we would agree. And sometimes we're not always living as we should or, or want to be. And, um, you know, we get pressure, we get tired, we have lots of things on our mind. And sometimes we don't maybe say or do what we, you know, what we should do in those times. And, and the idea is that there's grace there. So as, as you're dealing with Christians who say things about you or do something that, you know, you, you think that they shouldn't have done, I think what blindsides a lot of people in the church is that they actually put like unrealistic expectations on other brothers and sisters. Um, and they expect a level of perfection from other brothers and sisters that they, that they themselves can't even live up to consistently. <clears throat> so when somebody comes along and says something or does something, you're, you just feel like you've been like um, blindsided with a punch that you didn't see coming. And, um, and then you do, you know, one of these things like, really, they call themselves Christian, you know, and uh, I, I know, you know what I'm saying. Um, but here's how we need to respond to all of that. And that's what this verse is saying. The issue is not them. The issue is us. It says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. You see, bless and bless. And oftentimes, you know, I'm not saying this is necessarily the case, but oftentimes when words are repeated in Scripture, it's for emphasis. Like God is saying, look, I want you to notice what I'm saying here. And um, the word bless here in the Greek is the word eulogia, like uh, where we get our word to eulogize someone. And um, now, I've never... I've been asked to give a eulogy at a funeral um, up to now uh, in my lifetime. I don't know if any of you have, but uh, but I've been to a lot of funerals and I've heard a number of eulogies. And um, the idea is that uh, I, I've never been to a, a funeral where um, someone has gotten up and uh, tells the crowd all the wrong things this person's done in their life. Um, a eulogy is, uh, you know, where you tell everyone how wonderful they are. You know, it's not like, uh, he was a lion cheating, you know, so-and-so. Um, but, but you talk good about them, and, and that's what this is saying, okay? That word bless, again, um, eulogia. Uh, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Um, so when people persecute you, talk good about them. Um, when people are unkind to you, you're going to talk good about them. You're not going to curse them. You're not going to say bad things about them. You're not going to wish evil on them. You're not even going to say, you know, you're not even going to do one of these things. You know, they did that to me, but you know what? You sow what you reap. Um, you're not going to do that. That's that, You're still cursing. You know, um, and you're not going to do one of these things either. Well, you know what? What goes around comes around. Um, you know, that's, you're still cursing. And uh, because now you do that kind of thing, you're just poisoning yourself. You're poisoning your spirit, and you're causing yourself to hang on to that bitterness, and you're setting the table for unforgiveness um, and a root of bitterness to grow up in your heart. And Paul says, 
Don't do that. That's inconsistent with genuine love. And honestly, I mean, God just God just builds these protections in the verse uh, to protect ourselves from bitterness and unforgiveness. He basically just says, look, when this happens, say nice things. You know, you say, but they did this. And he says, it doesn't matter. Say nice things is what I told you. Um, now, you might come in a situation where you say, you know, I, I don't know what to say. Well, just say, you know, they have a nice hairdo, you know, or something. I don't, I don't know. Um, they, they have a nice smile or something. Um, uh, you know, pray about it. That's why maybe before this it says be constant in prayer. I mean, you're, you're praying constantly. You can ask the Lord what nice things you can say, how you can bless them with your words. Um, but then Jesus said in Luke 6, 27, 28, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Um, and if Jesus is telling us to do that for enemies outside the kingdom, how much more should we do it for family members inside the kingdom? Um, Romans 12, 15 goes on to say, rejoice with those who rejoice, Weep with those who weep. <clears throat> now, I'm not saying that either one of these things is, is easy to do, but from my experience, um, it appears to me that I've seen it's harder for people to rejoice with those who rejoice. And, and what I mean by that is um, sometimes it's harder for people to be genuinely, uh, to be able to celebrate the prosperity of, of someone else around them, um, especially when they um, look at someone's situation and think, wow, I needed that blessing, not, not them, you know? Um, and there could tend to be envy or jealousy and, and uh, you know, sometimes people don't even wanna, what, sometimes people don't even wanna share, you know, a blessing. Even, let's say we had a testimony time and God blessed one of you in some great way. And sometimes people don't even wanna share that because they're afraid that there's going to be some kind of thing going on where someone won't rejoice. You know, genuine love, we would rejoice with that. Let's just say God gave someone a brand new car or something, and someone in our testimony time said, you know what, God gave me a brand new car, and it was a it was a Lamborghini. <laughs> I mean, would, would, the rest of, would the rest of us be able to go? I mean, let's just say that you've been driving a broken-down clunker and you've been like needing a car desperately, would you be able to, you know, genuinely love and be like, praise God, brother. So that's what I mean. You know, that, that's genuine love. Um, so genuine love rejoices with those who rejoice. And then it weeps with those who weep. It's brokenhearted. And, um, and, and to weep with those who weep, you know, you're really, you need to not be just thinking about yourself. It's it's aware of what's going on around you. So when it sees people who are heartbroken, it's heartbroken with them. And when it sees people, um, you know, in in sorrow, it can empathize in, in their sorrows. And this word weep means shedding tears, actually. And um, so can you really enter into the tragedy and the sorrow of people who are sorrowing or are you so caught up in your own world and in your own agenda and everything's going on in your life that you can't even recognize it? Um, 
I, I, I'll just be honest. I, I had to really grow in this um, to where when when something tragic happens, someone else's life, I, I literally uh, try to take the time to really put myself in their situation now, especially like someone has the death of a family member or some really bad news that they received because um, really I have to try to put myself in their skin to to be able to um, go through what they're going through because I've not been through a lot of difficult things like that, you know, to where I can just naturally be like, you know, I, I've been there, I've experienced that, I've felt that before. Um, okay, verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. <clears throat> um, so the New American um, Standard kind of captures, I'll just say how it says it, because I think it captures the meaning a little bit better, and we kind of talked about this when we went through the book of James. Um, the New American Standard says it, instead of live in harmony with one another, it says, be of the same mind toward one another. Be of the same mind. So it has the idea of like, just treat everyone you know the same. Don't, don't put people into these different categories. And the idea isn't just that you, so the idea, yeah, it's not just you get along with one another. It's literally that you, you know, you treat people from the mindset. You, you have the mindset of treating people the same. Because honestly, what can happen is depending on a person's personality and depending on where they're at and how they're wired, it's, it's more of a challenge for some than others. But, but you know, we, we all tend to have a, a tendency to gravitate towards certain people that, um, that we want to stay in our comfort zone, okay? And so, like, we'll grab people or people that we have common interest or just something clicks, and and and, um, and and God understands that. I mean, it's not that we don't build relationships in that way, um, but the point is that it's not to the exclusion of everybody else. Um, we're, we're not to just, like, try to live in those comfort zones and exclude people you know, that are outside of those comfort zones. Um, and that's what it means to have this mindset of, of um, have the same mind towards one another. Um, so uh, it's like having an attitude of, of, of those, don't have an attitude, don't be haughty, don't have an attitude of like, you know, those others don't have anything to offer me. They don't have the same interests I have, you know. Um, their personality's not the same as me. I only want to be with these people over here because um, you know, I, I get mutual benefit from them. But no, when, when we're followers of Christ, you know, we need to have that mindset to love everybody in the same way. Um, you're, not, you're not being a friend for who they are or what they have. You're being a friend because they're a child of God and they are family. Um, and you treat them that way. And then notice that it says, but associate with the lowly. Um, so you're not to be proud, only associating with those who have something to offer you, again, but don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, um, is, is what it says there at the end. And um, so what, what I'm talking about there is like, um, you know, when you go to a life group, don't, don't think, you know, it's really good that I'm in this life group, because uh, nobody knows half of what I know. And... Uh, <laughs> I'm sure none of you guys do that anyway. But, um, that's the, you know that's the wrong attitude. But um, maybe the person that knows a fraction of what you know could 
could teach you more than the equivalent of what you know. Um, so be open to that. And, I, and you know, I mean, sometimes, um, actually, the New American says it this way: Don't be wise in your own estimation. So don't be like using your own estimation to judge, you know, your your wisdom or, uh, you know, what you think of yourself. Okay, then verse seventeen. We're almost done. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought. Uh, I'm going to read it slowly so I can get that word in there. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. So now again, I, I want to apply this just in the church. Because um, honestly, uh, we can apply it outside the church, but it's almost easier uh, when we think of the world because, like I said, we kind of we kind of give a pass. Like, well, what do you expect? You know, they're not Christians. You know, they're going to they're gonna do bad things to me. So, you know, I, I understand what God is saying here. But but right right off the bat, when we do that, we're automatically like not ratcheting up these expectations within the house of God, like, oh well, who would expect them? You know, they're they're unbelievers, you know, we can't expect them to act like a believer. When you see what I just did, I mean I'm like, okay, well then the believers, they need to act like this in my mind. And if they don't, what? Are you serious? I can't believe they did that. You know, and they call themselves a Christian? I mean, so that, that's what I'm saying. So, so I want to apply this here, you know, in the house of God. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Um, the point is, Christians are imperfect. And, uh, and our brothers and sisters in Christ will sometimes both knowingly and unknowingly hurt you. Um, they will say things, they will do things at times that are hard to take. They might wrong you, and that's the idea of this word evil, that you're wronged. Um, they, they might sin against you. Um, here's what Peter says about it, 1 Peter 3.9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, Bless, for to this you were called that you that you may obtain a blessing, you know, from God. In other words, talk good about them. Again, the word eulogia. When somebody does something unkind to you, talk good about them. So here's the thing: every time you rehearse that hurt or that statement, that bad situation, here's what you're doing. You're just driving, you're driving a wedge deeper in your spirit and you're allowing a root of bitterness to take hold. And the writer of Hebrews says that by it many will be defiled. So um, rather than telling, you know, how they did you wrong, say something good about them. Say something kind about them because that's what God has called you to do. And then, and then what does it say? If you do that, God will say some good things about you that you may obtain a blessing. So, you know, we can either defend ourselves or we can let God defend us. But um, trust me, he's going to defend us a lot better than we can defend ourselves. Um, and then 1 Thessalonians 5, 15 says, See that no one, actually this is interesting, See that no one repays evil for evil. He's talking to the whole church here like, I mean, if, if one of us sees somebody repaying evil for evil, we should be like, wait a minute, hey, see it. See that that doesn't happen. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Um, 
Obviously, these verses wouldn't even be in the Bible if this wasn't going to happen, right? I mean, the point is that someone is going to do something hurtful or nasty and say something hurtful or nasty. Um, and, and the issue is not that is that going to happen. The issue is how are we going to respond to that? How are we going to respond in those situations? Um, are we going to just recount it over and over and get bitter? Or are we going to say, you know what, I just need to get this off my chest and, and just like um, let them have it or, or just gossip about it to someone else? Um, trash them, you know, in front of other people? Um, or am I just going to simply say, you know what, God, you saw it, um, you know about it, and that settles it. Um, I'm going to say good. I'm going to say something good. Um, so, you know, I, I'm just going to bring this one example up. You know, you, I know that we might get in a situation where sometime, you know, we're going to have a meeting with someone, someone knows about a difficult situation in our life, and, and, and they're praying for you because you're going to go meet with someone, and, and then maybe after that meeting, they're like, hey, hey, how'd that go? Well, you know, you might come out of the meeting, and you're just like, Hey, they have a nice hairdo. Yeah. No, um, but really, no. I realize that, that you know it, it, this can be difficult, but but that's why I think it says that verse says, "Give thought, give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Do not repay evil for evil, but give thought." Because you know, I think what it's saying is premeditate, premeditate good remarks. So here's an example: you're getting ready to go into that meeting. And you have been around this person enough to where you're, you know, where you're thinking, hey, anytime around them, you know, things don't go well. So here's what you do. You know you were going to be around them, so you think in advance, if they do that, you know, what good response can I have? Not, not, you know, this is the comeback I'm going to have. Um, but what good response can I have that's going to bless them? And, and you say, man, I don't know. Um, but that's why genuine love is constant in prayer. So you think of living a life of genuine love, and you know we've already brought that up a number of times here, it's really gonna build our prayer life, okay? Because to live a life of genuine love, we're gonna need to be praying about how we're gonna bless people, how we're gonna say good about them, when we're wronged, um, you know, um, how we're gonna be fervent in the spirit, how we're never gonna be lacking in zeal. So you, pre you premeditate good words, and you know what, when you, when you premeditate good words, um, it's going to change your whole approach even to dealing with that person and eventually change how you think about that person. And, and you might be able to say those words a lot more easy than you thought you could because the Lord is going to help you and he's, and he's going to bless you. Okay, verse 18 says this, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Um, there's two ways you could maybe look at this. Maybe there's more, <clears throat> but one, I don't, I'm not sure. One could be that Paul recognizes that sometimes there are just some people who are impossible. Not sure. Um, but another way I know we could look at it for sure is, if at all possible, is that there will be time, for example, that in obeying God, that our choosing to obey God causes a lack of peace. Um, for example, in a family, you know, to where, you know, if at all possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably. But if you're someone who was a different religion, let's say Muslim, and you became a Christian, 
now your family is you're not they're not at peace with you um, it's not it's, it's now how is it going to be possible to live peaceably with them because you are trying to obey God and follow Jesus Christ and they're against Jesus Christ you know for example um, so there could be times that in obeying God that our choosing to obey God causes a lack of peace um, but the point is this I would say unless it comes down to an obedience of God issue we should not be the cause or the, or the source let's say the source of conflict um, or the source of division and, and I think even when it's a, an obedience to God issue um, I think we need to think long and hard in prayer and we even need to be getting counsel in a situation that will cause unrest because honestly um, I've seen throughout my years Christians being sources of conflict and division and they're really just hiding behind a banner of obedience to God like oh God told me to do this and it causes it just blows things up and mm, probably wasn't God um, uh, when it may have just been more of I want my way and so I'm going to do this um, so um but we should never be the source of cursing. We should never be the source of that. I'm talking about speaking bad about people and uh, the source of anger, the source of hurt, source of gossip, source of slander. Um, so try to live peaceably with everybody. So, almost done. Genuine love is supernatural. Two, genuine love exhibits passion. Genuine love seeks harmony. And finally, genuine love overcomes evil. And there's just uh, one verse here to cover. Uh, Romans 12, 19 and 20. <clears throat> and it says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will keep burning coals on his head. So, to all of you fans of Marvel, I'm sorry, but we will not be able to become an Avenger. Um, I'm sure we've all heard our fair share of interpretations of the phrase about heat burning coals on his head. And I'll tell you that, um, I'll tell you exactly what that means. I don't know. Um, but I tell you, you can look up all those different uh, interpretations. I, I'm running out, I'm not going to take the time to talk about different ones. There was one that I um, heard, actually I've never heard before, and I was thinking, I, I like I like where that's going. Uh, but again, we can talk about it offline sometime. Um, but the more important takeaway from this verse is that clearly, from the verse, our responsibility is to treat the enemy well and leave the outcomes to God. Um, and I think it's interesting that the actions here, the actions in this verse, they're not verbal in nature, but they're, they're more physical or practical. He says, give them drink, give them food. And I, I think from experience, um, perhaps all of us have been in situations, you know, where, where there is something that is kind of blown up in a relationship uh, like this. And... Uh, And you know that you're at a point where nothing you're going to say, nothing you say is really going to make a difference. In fact, sometimes, you know, they're not going to hear what you say. And sometimes you're at a point where even 
you try to explain more or say more and it just makes things worse. And so it's at a point where they're only going to see what you do. And I, and I don't know if that's exactly what God's getting at here, but I kind of feel like it, it could be. You know, you're at a point where like, you know what, all I can do at this point is just have my life speak for itself. And you're focused on meeting their needs. Um, because my words are not going to go over well anymore. Um, finally, verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Um, praise the Lord that Jesus overcame evil with good, and we are called to do good. And this is genuine love, um, because God is love. First Peter 2, 2, 21-23 says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. After being beaten and hung on the cross, Jesus mustered um, enough strength to make some statements. And, and I already talked about what he, what he said, but he gave us an example that we would follow in his steps, and, and that statement that he made was a blessing. It was a, it was a eulogy, a blessing. It was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He didn't curse them. He didn't revile them back. Um, so he perfectly overcame evil with good. And he gave us an example that we were following his steps. So to sum up, genuine love, it is supernatural. It exhibits passion. It seeks harmony. It overcomes evil. That's our calling card. Um, you know, I, I don't know if calling card, I don't know that people even give business cards anymore, but, you know, so that might be an old phrase from my generation, but maybe from today's generation, I'd say that's our brand, okay? That's our brand, genuine love. And when you and I live lives of genuine love, the world will know that we are his disciples and others will be blessed. So let's just close in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, um, there's just so much to, to cover here, God, and, and uh, hmm. Lord, you know, we absolutely need everything. I mean, we, we, need, we need your strength, your grace, your mercy. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need everything to be able to live lives of genuine love um, and um, to live like these verses talk about God it's um, certainly something that we can't muster up I, I can't muster it up I um, not at all and um, God I pray that you'd help us to do that I, I pray that you know as as we see you live through us and and look, ways that these verses talk about, God, I pray that we just even be thankful to you. Just thank you for that little grace along the way. If we, if we respond to a wrong the way you want us to respond to a wrong, may we just say a quick praise, God, thank you, God, for that grace in my life to allow me to do that. If we see a need, you reveal a need to us and and we're able to meet it, God. May we just 
say, praise God, thank you, God, for your grace to love through me and allow me to see that. And because we just need you completely, God. May, may, may we understand and, and, and even see in our lives more and more, God, how we can live like Paul said, it's no longer he who lives, but you who live in him. And may we be able to see that happen in our lives um, so that we can uh, demonstrate genuine love um, to one another. Ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.